All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, Super Producer Brandon Newman. And back because he apparently cannot get enough of us, my dad, Mike Gola Sr. Dad, what's going on? I'm just kind of leeching on right now. I'm just kind of a hanger on. My my wife, your mother, you know, is like, go talk sports with your son. You know, you you have that itch, so go do it. See ya. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Is this because she got tired of you giving impromptu radio shows for people at bars? That it's pretty much it. You know, since I stopped doing a daily show, I talk a lot of sports at home. And she's like, man, you really need an outlet. And I said, yeah, I kind of still have it in me. So, yeah. So that this is kind of a, a, a tag team effort. And we figured we'd bombard your show because you're my son. And you probably wouldn't say no when I say, hey, can I come on the show? You know, you'd probably feel bad because I'm your dad and say, sure, dad, come on the show. So I do appreciate that. Me kind of worming my way in. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And we've got a great show. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. As always, people should download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us the five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel because uh, 
it's a wild time in the association right now. We have a ton of NBA to get to, a ton of interesting stuff coming up tonight, including the MVP getting handed out. But, Dad, I figured you'd especially want to get come, come get takes off this morning after James Harden decided to go off in Boston to continue to ruin Boston sports fans' lives right now and do it in style, fueled by Jenko jeans and apparently the spiritual willpower of the Met Gala. Where were you at on James Harden's outfit walking in to a game one win in the series against the Boston Celtics? So you said in style. Is is that in style? You know, I, I must just be behind the times because I remember having that outfit back in the, uh, in the late 80s and I retired it and I did not think it came back. Now that I saw Harden in it, I'm going to pull it back out again and start strutting around in that outfit. Because all I got to say, you wear an outfit like that, you better come ready to go. And and you, it's kind of that 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 side thing with the NBA that the, and I don't know if Harden does, but I know other players have these stylists that actually lay out all their clothes basically for the year uh, of what they're going to wear going into the, the arena, whether home or away. So it's pretty impressive. You see some wild, so what was it? Was it, oh no, it was Russell Westbrook had the whole open jacket and showed his abs, which I would love to do. I would love to have abs because I'd never put a shirt on. Um, but man, these guys, these guys are either very stylish or think they're very stylish when in essence people are chuckling at him. But there's no sense in chuckling at him because he's got more money than we'll ever have and can go do what he wants to do. And he decided to slap 45 on the Celtics last night. Yeah, slap 45 on the Celtics in a game where there was no Joel Embiid still dealing with right knee soreness coming off their last series, the opening series, Brooklyn Nets. And in a game that really, I think, rattled everyone to the core, should have been Boston, where you're on your home court, you're the deeper team, and certainly right now the team going into the game where tonight we're going to hand out the MVP and the guy that's up for it in Philadelphia's locker room wasn't on the court to do that in that moment coming off of not only wearing that outfit into the arena, but also apparently making a between playoff rounds trip out to Las Vegas that got captured by TMZ. James Harden had a throwback game. And for a guy known for his uh, presence in many different kind of clubs over the years, it seemed like all this just fed him because it was a vintage Harden performance. We got some help from the likes of Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey and the rest yep. of that Philadelphia 76ers roster. But, Dad, this was really James Harden very sure of himself going into this performance. And on the other side, it seemed like down the stretch for the Boston Celtics, a team that despite all of this talent and all of this depth seems to kind of be unsure of itself in critical moments. Jalen Brown, I don't think, took more than three shots in the last three quarters of this game. The final possession for the Boston Celtics with a chance to tie or win the game was drawn up for Marcus Smart to get the ball in the post. These were head-scratching moves from Joe Missoula and from the rest of this team that were surprising given the amount of playoff experience the core of this roster has. Yeah, this was a little surprising. Surprising 16 turnovers by the Celtics. Bench only putting up, a, what, six points in this game. And then all that being said, you, you look at the one side, they're doing it without Joel Embiid, and, and Philly was in it the, the entire game. But you still bought, thought Boston was going to kind of start to take control of this one. But you're right, they didn't. And that, and that last – the wild play of that last turnover, the 16th turnover, I believe it was, for the Celtics, as you mentioned, you know the 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 play for Marcus Smart, or when they were when they were up one, and Philadelphia was trying to get that stop. What great defense they played! They stopped the 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 road to the lane to the basket. 
for Boston. So they had to kick the ball around until you had an errant pass that went whizzing by Tatum's head and right into Maxie's hands. Now, the key thing here that you have to remember is the 24-second clock was a tenth away from going off. If that had gone off before Maxie got the ball, they're blowing the whistle dead. They're blowing the play dead and changing possession. This is when Philly was down one, but the ball got in Maxie's hands. As a matter of fact, all of the nine players stopped on the court thinking that it was going to be a shot clock violation. Maxie, as he was driving down with nobody trailing him because everybody stopped, almost stopped dribbling at the free throw line because he thought he heard a whistle that they blew it dead because of change of possession because the ball never hit the rim. But he didn't. He kept going, and they, they and he had the easy layup, and it put him up by one with 28 seconds to go, which was another smart move because it still gave him a two for one. Uh, Boston got the ball back, but they, they messed that one up, and they got the ball back. But Philly could have got it back again had Boston scored. So that was a wild play, Mike, because a lot of times you see that shot go up when the 24-second clock is running out. It's kind of a ref's discretion on where the ball is if it doesn't hit the rim, if the opponent catches it, but it's by the basket and and maybe just catches it and the buzzer goes off, they'll blow the whistle and change possession. But this one, the ball was clearly in Maxie's hand a split second before the 24-second clock ran out, so the rest let it go. Like I said, all the other nine people stopped on the court, and luckily Maxie kept going for the easy layup. Yeah, Ernie Johnson on uh, Inside the NBA after the game actually did a really good job, said he spoke with NBA officials, and they said when it happens simultaneously like that, the rule right. is a play on. So they got it right by the letter of the law in that moment, and it led to a big swing at the end of that game, one that caused a lot of confusion for some people, and ultimately helped lead to that 76ers victory. I, I want to get to a bigger question coming off both results we saw from light, though. Um, involving the late game that we got here with the Denver Nuggets and a now 2-0 series lead against the Phoenix Suns, putting both these series up next to each other and figuring out who we believe more. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. 
So, coming off last night, in addition to James Harden's incredible genes and incredible performance, this ends up being a two-horse race because in the other corner opposite those 45 points was the late game where now the Denver Nuggets go up 2-0. Nikola Jokic has another impressive game, um, and we're looking at a banged-up Phoenix Suns team that lost Chris Paul to a groin injury late in that game. Dad, who should be more concerned at this point? A Phoenix Suns team that's going back home down 0-2 or a Boston Celtics team that just got rocked on their home court in game one? Well, I mean, I think Boston is talented enough to to make this a series, even though Joel Embiid was out this game. And you wonder if you even play him in game two since you already got, at least got the split in Boston. So you got home court, kind of like the Miami situation with Jimmy Butler, or did you skip game two with Embiid, even though he's getting closer to coming back. And then there's that long break between games two and three where you can continue the rest. I think I think uh, the Phoenix Suns are in a lot of trouble. A, yeah, we all, we all have to remember that the Denver Nuggets are the number one seed. How about after that first game when Kevin Durant was asked, are you surprised by the Nuggets? And he actually started laughing. He said, these guys are the number one seed in the West. It's like nobody wants to take Denver serious, and I get it. They've been up there in the seeds before, and they haven't closed the deal. So it's kind of still – they're kind of in the show-me stage still as well. But I, I think they're rolling like now. Jamal Murray has a big-time game one. He shoots horrible in game two. But it's Jokic who steps up with 39 and 16. Neither team shot too well from three-point land uh, in this one. I'm more concerned about the Suns. You lose Chris Paul, who creates out there for you. He had a groin injury. And you're talking about soft tissue injuries and the time in between games. And that healing is very difficult. Plus, he's a little up there in age. So it, it takes even a little longer for that. So... I, I don't have a whole lot of hope for Phoenix now down 0-2 in this series where Boston, I mean, they, they have they have such a great team that you just got to tip your cat to Philadelphia and what they were able to do last night. But Boston obviously can still make this thing a series. I just don't know if the Suns can come back in this one. I think Denver is going to move on to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if this will be enough for people to finally have the outside perception of Denver catch up to what we got from Kevin Durant there, which is laughing from a basketball perspective at the idea that this team wasn't good. We know in the last couple of postseasons since the bubble, they haven't had Jamal Murray. Last year was basically Jokic out there on an island trying to drag that Nuggets team in a way that outside of early 2000s LeBron just doesn't happen in the NBA, but because he had won the back-to-back -back MVPs and because he's in such rarefied air – we started lumping all of those expectations, regardless of the context of those performances. So I'm with you. The Phoenix Suns came into this postseason as the favorite, I believe, to win the West by most betting estimations because Kevin Durant, since he came over and going back to his time in Brooklyn, had been one-man offense. And to watch him go 2 of 12 from 3 last night, I've never seen Kevin Durant shoot that cold. The entire first three quarters of that game was dreck, really, until the end of the third yeah. when both offenses, really Kevin Durant and Jokic trading blows, started to light things up a little bit. It was the one thing that gave me a little bit of pause, Dad, is... All right, the Suns were in it and damn near leading most of this game, despite the fact that Kevin Durant was playing as poorly as he did. But this team's hallmark was, we're going to beat you with basically our starting five. They got exactly four bench points last night. Yeah. Bismack Biombo gave you two, Campaign gave you two, and that was it. And that was the sell on this team. 
and the fact that now Chris Paul, even late stage Chris Paul, who is more of just an adult out there, the scoring output's not going to be there, losing that presence, there was a clear shift in this game, and I think based on yet another soft tissue injury undermining him, yeah, Phoenix looks pretty cooked at this point. I know they're going to go back home right now and get the boost there. Usually we get the role players playing better at home, but the depth of this Denver team is real, and right now they're the healthiest team left in this postseason, maybe with Boston. Yeah, they are. Listen, for Phoenix, like you said, it was a game. Then you got to the fourth quarter. They missed, what, their first nine shots in the fourth quarter. Got outscored 27-14 in the fourth quarter. And this is the lowest amount of points they've scored with Kevin Durant on the floor. And that's been, I think, 15 games. So the sample size isn't monstrous. But still, you know, it's more than a handful of games when they scored just 87 points. So, yeah, I worry about them not being able – but they were in it. I get it. But, man, you are just so relying on Durant – and Chris Paul uh, in in this series. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, uh, Devin Booker, not Chris Paul. We don't know when we'll get him back. Booker has just been a scoring machine uh, as of late, no doubt about that. So I, I, just, I just don't think they're going to have it in them. And I wonder, this is what I wonder. Denver, I think, is going to win this series. Will they be the favorite no matter who they go against? Because the last odds I checked, it was Boston as the favorite and then Golden State had put themselves in the number two slot. So I wonder if Golden State beats the Lakers, and we can't wait for that series to start tonight, who would actually be favored if it was Golden State and Denver, the top seed in the East? Could they actually be the underdog when they get to the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I think so much of that's going to depend on what that Golden State Lakers series looks like. Because if the Nuggets go out here and drop this in five against this team in particular, that might give them the respect they deserve. Right. That's an interesting way to think about it. The other thing that I was wondering, because so we're recording this on Tuesday morning, the NBA's MVP is going to be announced Tuesday night before these games get started. And Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis, we know, are the three finalists for the MVP. Giannis got sent home early in the first round, the eight seed dropping the one seed in the East. And then Joel Embiid, we know, has been on the shelf now for the last couple of games, and we'll see what his status is for game two of that series. Based on the timing, and we know this isn't the way that you should decide the award, it would be fascinating for all the people that did all the hand-wringing about the notion of Jokic winning a third MVP, but having the you know lacking the top-end postseason success. If he finally won it this year, timing-wise, for how it would be received, it would actually be the best we've seen, where he's in position to go out here, get back to another Western Conference Finals, and has a realistic shot at a title in a year where nobody wanted to give him the MVP, largely because he hasn't done enough in the postseason to satisfy the narrative people. And, and, and that's the thing. So what you're saying is would this offseason or postseason justify it? Because remember, this is a regular season award. Voting's been done. So you're oh, yeah. not taking any of the playoffs into consideration, but you're, you're still waiting for Denver to close the deal. So I get what you're saying that it would be, okay, proven his point by actually winning. But we have to do remember this is a regular season award that we're looking at. Oh, I agree, and I think the notion of how we judge that is kind of dumb. It's the ultimate sports talk radio, which we can both appreciate. This idea that that somehow bleeds in because he would be in such rarefied air as a three-time MVP and doing it in such rapid succession and not having accomplished on the championship level. It has nothing to do with his accolades, which he's incredibly deserving. It, to me, is just how it would be received because, you know, we've had a bunch of awkward stretches as of late where between Jokic winning the MVP and certain others 
we've had a lot of MVPs shown the door early in the playoffs, right when they decide to send out this award. And then usually we have someone up who was a finalist or a runner up make a deep postseason run. And everyone looks and we have the conversation about, should this be an award that factors in postseason play when we decide it? There are two sports where it's put on a person as far as their legacy is concerned. It's the quarterback position in the NFL. How many Super Bowls did you win when there are three aspects to the game, offense, defense, special teams, yet we put how many Super Bowls did you win as a quarterback, and the same for the great players in the NBA because you can lead a team. Now, the NBA of today has at least two, maybe three stars on them, but still you're judged by the amount of championships you win. So you can stack up all the regular season MVPs you want, but if you don't start putting some, some uh, ch- world championships where you're the leader of that team under your belt, that does have an effect on your legacy. It, it, it also, listen, Charles Barkley is going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Obviously, already has. Didn't win a title. Karl Malone didn't win a title. Is going to go down. It doesn't mean you can't still be considered one of the greats, but it's a, one of the things we do bring up when we talk about the greatest. Dan Marino, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but... Didn't win a Super Bowl. And then when you start getting to it, one isn't enough. We started giving Peyton Manning even more props after he won the second one. So that's put into it. Fair or not, uh, and I don't know what you think whether it's fair or not, but fair or not, that's the perception now. Have you turned your greatness into championships for your team? Yeah, and you're right. This sport gets unfairly that expectation lumped on one person And how we judge that, especially as time goes on, it's one thing to look and say, well, people were injured around this player. Look who the supporting cast was. Look how few all-star players were around them. When the sands of time pass by, we stop caring about that in the way that we legislate that after the fact, which is actually an incredible segue into the games that we got coming up tonight. So we've got, you know, Jimmy Butler and the Heat and the Knicks, which is going to be an interesting game, but We get started with the series that everyone has circled, LeBron James versus Steph Curry, part six now, as far as postseason series for these two players, which is insane. Dad, the series that everyone started talking about, I call it the UConn women's basketball theory, where we get apparently bored of the incredible greatness that we're watching, as we had LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers meet Steph Curry's Golden State Warriors in four straight NBA finals from like 2015 to 2018. Steph's side winning three of them LeBron winning one in very famous fashion are you excited for this again because I'm not sure I think we've gotten to the point now where we're far enough away from that and both have still accomplished more LeBron's championship in the bubble in 20 and Steph's championship last year where this is almost a hit of nostalgia in a way because these are two of the older players in the league and it's, it's kind of weird too because people have a hard time it seems giving credit for title in the bubble you know, like, was yeah. it was it a legitimate title that the Lakers actually won there? Or more importantly, that LeBron won here. The, the one thing I, I, I want to dispel, because I don't think it is, but again, the teams would have to get there, is people starting to say, is this the last matchup of these two guys that have matched up so many times in the postseason? LeBron's 38, Steph's 35. Well, we know LeBron's playing at least until Bronny, his son, gets into the league, and Steph's not slowing down anytime. So I don't know why we would start saying this would be the last time. I don't see LeBron's career ending in the next couple of years. So I think these two teams can meet again. I think it's awesome that they're meeting now. I, I, I you know, the, the Warriors are 
are, are getting hot. When, when you have Clay and you have Steph and all the running that they do, I swear you need, you need to put, find out how many steps they take during the game. It's just it's exhausting watching them run and move so much without the ball, let alone uh, the way they shoot. So, yeah, we are looking forward to this. We are looking forward to this particular matchup. Obviously, it's not just Steph against LeBron, but that's the way that we do everything with these teams. The Lakers, after the trade deadline, has started – playing better Anthony Davis you still hold your breath every time he falls on the ground that he gets up and doesn't miss two games and he's been he's been great with that he's been falling down and, and we've been worrying but he's been really picking up the slack uh, the slack especially when LeBron has been out so yeah I mean I'm looking forward to this the matchup inside with AD how many Looney getting how many I think what 10 offensive rebounds in the last game that they played. So, I mean, this, this is a good matchup on the inside as well, forgetting just LeBron and Steph. It is. There are a ton of other interesting matchups, and I think you're right. Anthony Davis is ultimately going to decide this series for yeah. the Lakers, especially with that matchup, because he should be winning in there. He's coming off a series going against Jaron Jackson Jr., the defensive player of the year, that should be a more direct challenge for him. But all the talk seems to have been around Steph Curry. Like, people want to do this as the legacy thing, because to your point about how we measure the meetings, right, these guys are now up there with, like, Bird and Magic, who had three NBA Finals meetings, 19 postseason meetings overall. Brady and Manning had five playoff meetings, four in the AFC Championship game. You had, like, Ronaldo and Messi in the world of soccer. And then now it's these two guys as far as the back and forth and this. And LeBron seems like he's sort of set. Like, we decided a while ago he was going to be in that Jordan conversation, and we just put him there. Dad, you've seen, as I have, on all of the talking debate shows – Steph Curry is the greatest point guard of all time now becoming part of the conversation. And I go back to something that Robin Lundberg, who I did first and last with from four to six on ESPN radio way back in the day, who's at SI, he always said this about Tim Duncan, where we shortchanged Tim Duncan's place in these all-time conversations when it comes to big men by just saying, well, right. he's the best power forward of all time right. and putting right. him over there with Steph We've done greatest shooter of all time. Do you think we're shortchanging him? Should he be involved in the best point guard conversation, especially I, man, if they go on and make it to another Western Conference final? This this is a tough one, Mike. I mean, because you know we call him a point guard, but like I said, what a shooter he is, and the movement he does without the ball to get to a spot where he's going to take the shot, normally a three, but he also drives the lane and dishes because everybody collapses on him as well. Uh, I don't know. I sit there. I mean, when you start talking about greatest point guards, obviously you're bringing up Magic Johnson. You're bringing up Isaiah Thomas. Hell, you know, is Allen Iverson. Where is he in that conversation? You go all the way back to Oscar Robertson, where I know your era doesn't really know a lot about uh, that guy. Not like I saw him play a lot, but at least I know a little more about him uh, than that. So when you start going that, I still say Magic Johnson was the greatest point guard of all time. Steph's the greatest shooter of all time. I guess it's how you want to break down the position because in the NBA, it's almost like a positionless, you know, sport anymore. So I guess it's how, and and this is like it is with most lists and we love lists, you know, doing sports shows because it lets other people do the work of how they want to break it down. Right? So how do you want to break it down? Is he the best shooting point guard of all time? Yes. Best shooter of all time forgetting point guard. But as far as the point guard position and what people have a definition of. It's kind of like MVP. Is it do you, MVP, is it do you take him off the team and how good you are? Is it best stats for the year? What's your criteria for best point guard 
Is it really field general, dishing the ball out where it needs to go and scoring when you need to score? Or is it what Steph is doing now? I, I, still, I still lean toward the Magic Johnson, uh, of, of Magic Johnson as the greatest point guard of all time. I think Steph, if he if he gets another deep postseason run, even gets to another finals, we're talking about a guy who firmly cements himself as a top ten player. I think I where I fall in it is kind of where we've fallen with modern NFL quarterbacks. This came up when Mike Lombardi talked about Justin mm. Fields versus Davis Mills and ignored the rushing stats. You can't do that anymore. We get quarterbacks that can produce in both ways now in the NFL, right. both affecting the game as passers and as dynamic rushers. That's another part of their output that impacts the game. And it's not just fantasy football, it's real football. With Steph Curry and what he does shooting – that's output that we've got to factor in where maybe if he's giving a little bit away in terms of what he does distributing the basketball, he makes up for it in shooting. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we got plenty more time to get to Hoops Talk, but while we were focusing on Boston Payne in the basketball court, we need to go back and revisit a little Boston Payne in the ice hockey rink. So to do that, let's enlist some help from a friend to try and break that down and figure out just where this collapse fits historically in the NHL's history. All right, so when we recorded yesterday's podcast, it was as the Bruins were finishing up one of the more epic collapses in sports history our brains were breaking in real time, and to help us digest this, we had to call in the real uh, the reinforcements here. Uh, you guys uh, can read her at Bleacher Report and listen to her as a part of the Too Many Men podcast. Sarah Sivian joining us now. And Sarah, where were you when it all went finally fully sideways uh, in Game 7 for the Boston Bruins? I was about to walk out of the press box. I thought it was the end of the third period. I wanted to get down to the interview locker room area as soon as I could. And then Brandon Montour ties it up. Or Connor, Carter Verhage it was. It was Montour. He was a beast yes. the entire game. But I just had my jacket in my hand and then I ran back up into my little press box and then <laughs> the thing happened and I'm still trying to figure it out in my brain. I'm just like, the fact that it even went to a game seven was bad and then they lost, but you have to give credit to the Panthers. I mean, you definitely have to give credit to the Panthers, but Boston, you know, everybody knows the story, the record of, of, of the season and the record and the points president's trophy winner and all that. And they never lost three games in a row during the regular season. And here they are up three, one and end up losing this thing. So Let's start there. How did they lose this? 
really uncharacteristic turnovers and giveaways that I, I heard someone say the Bruins gave it away, but the Panthers took it, right? So I do want to give the Panthers credit, and we'll get into that. But just the turnovers were egregious. Um, now Kevin Weeks is reporting that Linus Allmark had a pretty severe injury that I don't know why they kept him in net, but we're talking to Montgomery tomorrow, so I'm sure we'll ask him. But they kept him in net until Game 7 when they had Jeremy Swayman all along, who had a .930 save percentage and was still one of the best goalies in the league. So it's kind of peculiar that they went with the – reportedly injured Linus Allmark, but he will probably win the Vesna, so I understand it's a tough call. But he had just, it was like these momentous blunders, right, in game five and just some giveaways behind the net where he would never do that in the regular season, so I definitely think he was injured. And then it was just kind of like the missed opportunities, like the Brad Marchand buzzer beater that wasn't, and a few other things they just refused to capitalize on for whatever reason. So with all that in mind and what dad mentioned is the background, this coming apart, was there any of this that we could have seen coming based on the Bruins regular season? Were there signs that we missed because the wins were just piling up that maybe we ignored all along? Or is it just the stuff that happened once we got to the postseason? The most shocking thing is no, but maybe it's just that old trope about the lack of adversity. And it's just funny also because the Panthers had gone through something similar. The Lightning have gone through something similar in the past. And it is just, maybe it is about the lack of adversity in the regular season, right? And then you come back after a hardship and go on a tear. I mean, I thought it was interesting the way the Panthers went on a tear at the end of the season. And now they were kind of just in that playoff mode where the Bruins had their foot off the gas. Does that qualify this as then based on everything there? Is this one of the worst upsets we've seen in NHL history? Is this the worst upset considering what the regular season was? How would you contextualize this? I, it had to be one of the worst, if not the worst. Just It's just interesting, though, because at the beginning of the season, nobody thought the Bruins were supposed to win the Cup. And now it's a disappointment that they made the playoffs and didn't win the cup. It's just funny how the narrative was at the beginning of the season, but they had just had this special thing come together and they weren't just like one of the best teams of all time. They were the best regular season by points NHL team of all time. And that was so hard to do in this era. So it's just, it was shocking how good they were, but it's also just shows how the parody in NHL playoffs and a few bad, bad vibes apparently can go. I just, I still am like, my brain is still boggled that I can't believe this happened. It's so shocking. So I'm going to go to uh, the NBA where the eighth seeded Heat beat number one seed Milwaukee. And Giannis, when asked if the season was a failure, really kind of flipped it on the reporter and kind of lost his mind a little bit to where I think their season was a failure for Milwaukee losing to an eight seed. So let's ask that about Boston. We all just said what their regular season was. Top seed, they lose to an eight seed. Is the season a disappointment for them, a failure? I think disappointment is a good word. Failure isn't because I think it's something they can build on, right? If Bergeron comes back and maybe Krejci comes back, I think he might be done though. And Olmark just started to be like the, the goaltender that he is right now, and he was hurt. So I think if he comes back and is that centering force for the Bruins, they, they just signed David Pasternak to the most um, expensive contract of Bruins history. I think they still have some of the pieces. Marchand is still cooking. I think they got this for a few more years, and it's just like the story isn't over yet, where you've seen this with the Panthers too. It's kind of, it might be a similar situation. 
Well, and the Panthers went through a host of changes and, and things that, uh, you know, certainly affected that team coming off of last year. I know Boston Sports Talk Radio has got to be losing their mind. I know Mike Ryan was an absolute sicko mainlining Boston Sports Talk Radio after this loss went down. But is there anything realistic that could or should change about this team this offseason? You mentioned some of the things hanging in the balance. Is there anything you see them actually doing as far as going out and being deliberate to change before next year starts? I thought it was so crazy seeing and hearing all the takes saying Montgomery should be fired. I'm like, he literally put together the best <laughs> season of all time. And then there's seven games that it comes down to things like injuries. And the Panthers actually, they, they need credit. And he really credited the Panthers. Kachuk, obviously for Hagee. Montour. I mean, that I have respect for that man now that I didn't really have before, I guess. But he said also that he... He was disappointed, but he was really proud of his regular season too, Montgomery. So I don't, I don't know. It was his first year as the Bruins head coach. Why would you fire him right now? I don't, I don't see that. But for other changes, you got to see if Bergeron and Kreji are going to come back and then go from there, I think. I, I mean, that, that's the society of today, right? Oh my God, you know, fire him. You know, he didn't get it done after the, it's, it's just crazy. Flipping it to the Panthers, I think, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think the last eighth seed to win was the Kings in like 12 or something like that. Do the Panthers have any shot at this? I know they take on Toronto next. How much of a let's, I guess, you know, the, this should be the obituary of the Bruins. I get it. But Florida's still playing. So how far can they go? I know. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see because it's kind of an unexpected matchup with the Leafs, too, who are suddenly very good and are suddenly in the second round. Um I don't know if anyone's stopping the Leafs, but I we counted out the Panthers, but like everybody counted out the Panthers before, and look what happened. Seven games, a few lucky bounces, but a lot of confidence. I think that's the biggest thing with Kachuk when he called they're going to go to game seven, and he had these big goals, and they just are playing with this desperation that I think maybe the Bruins didn't have, but the Leafs do have, so that'll be interesting. On the Panthers' side, is Kachuk the the story coming out of this series for them and really maybe NHL-wide? I think he is just because, I mean, if Connor McDavid didn't exist, he'd be winning the heart. And what for what he did, especially at the end of the season, people didn't think before the All-Star break that the Panthers had a chance to even make the playoffs. And then here they are winning against the best team ever in seven games. But I... I think just the way his attitude is, Kachuk, I think that's so needed in the league and kind of the chirps back and forth, whatever you want to call it. He got under the Bruins' skin, but he also has the credentials on the ice to back it up. So it's just a little bit of everything that is what the playoffs are all about. You mentioned if Patrice Bergeron comes back 19 years, all with the Bruins. It, it's, it's incredible, the career he has. But I'd like you to put it, if he is done, kind of put his career in context of, of all time. Well, they better rename the Selkie Trophy, the Bergeron Trophy. He's won it more than anybody, and it's deservedly so every single time. He just exemplifies what it means to be a Bruin, as corny as that is. He's just such a patient two-way player. He's such a leader. Like, he'll call random guys on the AHL team if they're having, like, a bad few games and just kind of give them motivation, even if they aren't destined for the NHL. And he does all this kind of secret behind-the-scenes stuff. And I really do think... Uh, he and Chara, kind of when Bruce Cassidy was the head coach and then transitioning to Montgomery, he and Chara, and then when Chara left, just Bergeron, were really 
not the coaches of the team, but they are the leadership in that group that guys can look to to trust and to set an example. And, and the Mitchell Miller situation sticks out to me. Like when they signed a bully, the Bruins, and I guess, I, I don't know if we all know that whole story, but um, he is a bully that didn't apologize. And this whole thing happened where he was a, a top draft pick and the Coyotes let him go. And then the Bruins said, all right, we're going to sign him. But Bergeron and the leadership in the room took a stand against that and yeah. spoke with the coaches and stuff and they took away his contract. So I just think doing the right thing the right way and playing the game with that two-way game the right way just exemplifies what Bergeron has been to the city for 19 years. I think that's a great yep. point, especially that latter half. You're right, them publicly speaking up that way and you know, the leaders leading in a locker room in a way that we don't normally have to see when an organization makes a decision like that absolutely should echo for a lot of people. Sarah, I know you've been dialed into this series, but I wanted to zoom back for, for just a minute here and look around as we're wrapping up the first round. We also had another historic moment. The Seattle Kraken get their first playoff win, uh, for playoff series win in their second year. Just in general for them, what does this mean for that franchise and the fact that we've now seen a couple of expansion teams be able to have early postseason success in recent years? Oh, it's amazing. And I think there's such an analytically forward group in the Kraken with their hires, like Allison Lucan, um, Alex McCandry, Namita Nemandukar, um, to name a few. They are one of the most analytically charged front offices and staffs in general. And I think people crapped on them for that at the beginning. And now they're kind of doing a little nerd victory lap, which I love to see. And it just shows where the league is headed, where this isn't the same NHL it was 20 years ago, right? Like it's not really kind of about the grit, grit and the toughness. I mean, it always will be a little bit, but now there's speed and skill and the youth on this Kraken team and the young stars that are appearing right now. It was too much for the avalanche and all their injuries. I love the nerd victory lap. That That is awesome. So <laughs> well, how about from the, so Colorado, they beat Colorado who won the cup last year. Amazingly, Colorado has not won a game. They've lost their last six game sevens. I think the last one they won was in like 02. It's a ridiculous streak. Uh -huh. Was So how you talked about Boston gave it away, but Florida took it. How, how would you say that in this series? I think... I mean, the Avalanche showed up despite it all. Devon Taves had that amazing play to steal the lead in the third in that one game. Obviously, they took it to seven, but I just think it was a tired, battle-tested team that is just on its way out this season. I, I think they had 470-something man games lost to injury. Like, it, it was just really, really hard to come back from something like that. And it's not just... The amount, it was like Gabriel Landeskog, their captain. And it was just so many key players at key times. Then you got Kale McCarr taking a bad penalty, which he never does. It was just kind of an uncharacteristic. It wasn't, it just felt like it wasn't their year. Like the vibes were off and the Kraken have tremendous vibes. So. Yeah. There we go. A vibes-based, <laughs> analytic-based yes. team. What a yes. what a beautiful combination of flavors uh, that have come together for also some of the greatest threads in the NHL. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah, with all this in mind, as we get ready to turn the page and start round two, what are you most excited to watch as we get ready to go with this next phase of the playoff? Is there a matchup that intrigues you most out of the bunch? Ooh, I have to say Leafs-Panthers, just because I really want to see if it is the Leafs' year or maybe if the Panthers stun everybody it's really it's a i think it's an interesting matchup that nobody really saw coming um i don't really know i guess like 
We'll see who wins Devils Rangers tonight, but that could be interesting. Rangers Hurricanes matchup. Yeah, I think uh, I, as someone who used to work with a diehard Leaves fan, I, I part of me <laughs> secretly prays that it's finally their year, considering know, the I way know. that it's constantly gone for that franchise. So we'll cross our fingers and uh, and hope for some good vibes coming their way. Again, uh, for illustrious vibes, great analytical breakdowns, check out Too Many Men. Awesome podcast. Make sure you're reading Sarah as well. Sarah, we appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, maybe without an epic collapse prompting it. Hopefully not, but yes, I'll talk to you guys whenever. Thank you so much. All that being said, I don't think anybody anywhere outside of the state of Massachusetts is going to cry tears for that fan base. No, no. What, what a tough time in that arena uh, the last couple of nights, that's for sure. And, and she mentioned there the outcome of the, because we taped it yesterday, the outcome of the Rangers and the Devils. The Devils smoked the Rangers four zip, so they move yeah. on. Games tonight are the Panthers and Maple Leafs, uh, Maple Leafs and the Kraken against the Stars. Um, but that, that uh, again, we get to the disappointment part, as I mentioned, or the failure part. Is this the biggest victory for an, an eighth seed over a one seed? Or do you still have to give it to the Kings? I think back in 2012, they were an eighth seed that actually won the whole thing. They won the Stanley Cup. But as far as one round um, one round upsets. This this is going to go down as one of the greatest, given what Boston did in the regular season, which obviously meant nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, truly, uh, truly, Hellas. I've watched so many people doing the math. I think Feidelberg over at Barstool did the math on how many hours he had given to watching the Bruins this year that all got flushed down the toilet. Um, Dad, off the uh, current playoff situation, we do have some other big news around the NHL that yes. you had uh, surrounding the Ottawa Senators and their bids. What do we got here? Didn't see that coming. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, Nico Sparks uh, is the main guy and talks with buying that team. He would be the first African-American owner of an NHL team should that go through. His partner in this, Snoop. Snoop is looking to get in on the buying of the Ottawa Senators, which is amazing. And, and the other side of it is Ryan Reynolds, paired with the Remington Group, are also going to be in the bidding to buy the Ottawa Senators. Why I give... The edge to Snoop, weed is legal in Ottawa. Enough said. There we go. The incentives are all there. Celebrity bidding, <laughs> uh, very hot in the streets right now for these different franchises. Ryan Reynolds, the gift that keeps on giving. And the Ottawa Senators, a pretty good buy right now. I think 24th out of 30 NHL teams in terms of their valuation at just 800 mil. All right. Time to send this thing home and finish it off the way we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to end everybody's day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review, and uh, petition for Brandon to start singing again for this, that, and the third. <laughs> um, but, Dad, it is, uh, as of Tuesday right now when we're recording, the final day for fifth-year option decisions for NFL players heading in to the second-to-last year of their rookie deals. So going into year four, teams have to decide what they're going to do for year five of these deals. And Jordan Love with the Packers was one of the interesting cases maybe that we've seen in a while. A quarterback who has not been on the field consistently so far was such a big part of the song and dance with Aaron Rodgers in this organization now has one of the more interesting results that we've seen. Instead of picking up his fifth-year option, according to ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, the Packers and Jordan Love agreed on a one-year contract extension that's worth up to $22.5 million, but only includes $13.5 million guaranteed. Now, 
for context, that fifth-year option would have been $20.272 million fully guaranteed based on the way that the rookie contract structures were. Dad, how surprised are you that Jordan Love took a deal that basically from the Packers standpoint says we only believe in you so much right now? Well, yeah, because, you know, as you were, you were telling me off air, and it's correct, it, it would seem he had a little bit of leverage since Green Bay dumped Aaron Rodgers, traded him away, Jordan Love is the guy. So what were they going to do if they didn't work out a deal? Now, now, again, Jordan Love is under contract. It's not like he wasn't going to show up. And I'm sure there's part of the Jordan Love that realizes that 10 game appearances and he still is in the proving part of, of his contract. So he may have thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this money right now. And, and really betting on himself because he can make more than what the option was. So if he were to just get the option, he can actually make a few million dollars more by playing the season and, and, and playing relatively well. So he can get over that. He gets $13.5 million by signing his name on a piece of paper, which doesn't stink either. The, the uh, Green Bay also gets to prorate that signing bonus over a couple of years to keep the cap number down low with this year and next year they can split that up or go further if they need to if they when they do an extension. So we'll see about that. I guess I'm not really surprised, Mike. This was this was a guy who basically looked at it and in an era of oh, are we being disrespectful of of what I can do to the team? Maybe realizes I've only played ten games. I can actually make more than what that fifth year option was. So I'm going to bet on myself to do it. What's interesting, there are no quarterbacks in the 10 to $24 million range in the NFL. He's the only one now. Anyone below that is quarterbacks that are on their rookie deals. And anybody above that, there's 18 quarterbacks that are averaging more than $24 million a year. So he's that lone quarterback now in that grouping of 10 to $24 million. But I get why he did it. Again, he gets a big check when he signs his name, and he can make more than the fifth-year option. I guess that's why I'm surprised he didn't go after it, why the Packers didn't just do the rook, the fifth-year option on this Fifth-year option, Because right? it is pennies yeah. on the dollar for most of these. This leaks confidence on both sides to me. The Packers clearly, despite moving on from Aaron Rodgers, are only so bought into Jordan Love based on what you said. Mm-hmm. But for Jordan Love, the bet-on-me move would have said, no, bleep you, either guarantee the fifth-year option for me, or I'll play it out on this year, and if I hit... Now you're really going to have to go in maybe the Daniel Jones contract range that we saw this year if I get it. So lots more to see on that, but a surprising and very strange outcome for one of the more bizarre quarterback situations we've seen. Let's get to that. Uh, We mentioned Ryan Reynolds before, a potential bidder for the Ottawa Senators. We know he very famously bought into Wrexham FC, a team that played in the fifth uh, fifth tier of European soccer, recently got themselves promoted up to the fourth tier after a real fairy tale season, and now has taken their show on the road. They're going to head to twice this summer, the United States. They're going to play Chelsea at Chapel Hill in North Carolina on July 19th. That ticket allotment sold out in four days. They're also going to play Manchester United in San Diego later on in July. And Dad, this is Ryan Reynolds and another very worthwhile investment paying off for him in a big way. Well, this is him, you know, part of a a couple of guys that bought this team. And the team seems like the little engine that could, right? Because as you mentioned, there's five tiers. The celebration that went off when when they moved up to that fourth tier was like they won the championship. But I get it. I mean, it's it's a team that's been in disarray and they're trying to move up the ranks and you have a, a valid superstar in Ryan Reynolds 
uh, you know, who's part of that team, which which brought it to light, you know, doing the, the docu-series on the whole season and everything. And now they're kind of that, that let's go watch this team, you know, when they're going to come play these friendlies. But it's a really cool story of how they've moved up one notch. So let's see if they can keep moving up the ladder. Really popular over on this side, too. Obviously, anything you can make into a TV show, we're going to digest and we're going to consume. Ryan Reynolds, the Midas touch. We missed him at the Met Gala last night. But, Dad, let's get to the third. I know this was the most important thing we'll talk about for you today as we got the very sad news last night that a lot of people had wondered if this might be coming based on some of the recent moves made around his touring. Gordon Lightfoot, legendary singer-songwriter, passes away at the age of 84. Dad, I know you got to meet Gordon and obviously have been a big fan of his for a number of years, so for the portion of our audience that may not have any idea who this legend is, how impactful was this for you? Oh, this was a tough one. I mean, I have grown up loving this man's music. One of the great singer-songwriters of, of my time, certainly. His storytelling in songs, he's, he's a Canadian, um, for, for those that don't know him, I would say Google, Google him and listen to some of the songs. Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, If You Could Read My Mind, Sundown, Carefree Highway. He's got a, a ton of hits. I was able to, me and your mother were able to see him a couple of times. Jake was with us one time back in 2011, then I think again in 2013. He was 84 years old, and the dude was still touring. We were supposed to see him out here in Arizona in the middle of April. I know somebody in the band, and I was emailing back and forth with him saying, it's kind of on hold right now. And as soon as we heard that, we were like, uh-oh, this, this may not be good. And unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 84. But I mean, up to the end, this, this guy was touring uh, as much as he probably could. I mean, just a phenomenal singer, a smooth voice. I would encourage anybody who's saying, who is Gordon Lightfoot? to Google it, to play some of those hit songs. Just sit back and listen to the incredible storytelling of one Gordon Lightfoot, one of the last great uh, Canadian troubadours out there. It was uh, just fantastic. An incredible life out of him, and he went the way he wanted to go. Absolutely. Rest in peace to Gordon Lightfoot. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is a certified banger. You've heard Carefree Highway if you're my age on Now That's What I Call Music. If you enjoyed the sound of this podcast, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on YouTube. We'll see you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.